As you watch this teaching, please subscribe, like, and comment so more people can see this message. Welcome to Home Group. My name is Rick Renner. So I want to say thank you for letting us come right into your space. And tonight, we're going to talk about what was the value of the gifts that the Magi brought to Jesus. And it is going to blow your mind when you hear what we're going to be sharing with you tonight. But we want you to get the free download, the whole download. Just go to renner.org right now. It's 124 pages. That is like a book to this. <laughs> it is like a book. It's a, it's a Sunday school quarterly, only a little thicker. And it's filled with the Greek <laughs> words, the history. I mean, everything we've been sharing in home group and in the regular TV programs, it's all in this free download. So please go to renner.org to get it. We want you to have it. And while you're there, you should go ahead and order the whole series that goes with it. 15 parts, Christmas, the rest of the story, line by line teaching about the rest of the story concerning the birth of Jesus. And every single program begins on location in Israel at where these events took place. It is just wonderful. But hey, welcome, Denise. Thank you, Rick, and home group, welcome. And I know that this is a very busy week for you. So thank you, thank you for spending it, this time with us. Hi, Maxine. Uh, hello, I'm happy to be here, home group. And uh, often think of that verse, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Because the things you're sharing about Jesus, that he was not poor, his father was not poor. This things set me free because I know I have this problem. Many people have this problem. People think that to be poor means to be godly, to be blessed. But Jesus was not poor. Thank you for explaining to us that his family was not poor. So this knowledge sets me free. Actually, Joseph was pretty well to do. That's why Mary's parents wanted Mary to marry Joseph. He was an upcoming young man in the business community in the city of Sephoris, which is four miles from Nazareth. The problem is, the problem is the word carpenter, which is a King James translation in Matthew chapter 12. It is a bad translation. The word that is used is the word tecton. It doesn't have one thing to do with wood, nothing to do with a saw, nothing to do with a hammer or nails or sawdust, nothing. It's the word tecton. It describes a highly technological worker, and probably Joseph was a building supervisor in the city of Sephoris, which was being built at that time by one of the Herods to be the ornament of Galilee. He brought in the very finest workers. In fact, the truth is, there probably weren't many poor workers working in Sephoris. It was the very, very best, and they were all paid very handsomely. And Joseph lived nearby in Nazareth, well, there was no work in Nazareth. It was just a bed, bedroom community or a sleeping community. People in Nazareth came next door to Sephoris, and that's where they worked. And Joseph was one of the young men working in that community, probably earning a very fine income. And Mary's parents saw him and said, hey, that's the kind of young man we want our daughter to marry. So he was up and coming. And then there's this idea that Jesus was poor. Jesus was not poor, and that's why home group tonight is so very important. First of all, Jesus was born into a successful home. Secondly, when the Magi came, they brought an enormous supply. They brought gifts. They brought treasures. Ay, 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 and the value of it was simply enormous, which means when Jesus was born and it was time for his life and his ministry to begin, God made sure he was amply supplied with everything he would ever need financially 
to pay for his ministry. And that's why when you study all of the Gospels, you never see Jesus having a money problem. Jesus is never believing for money. He's never complaining that they don't have enough money. In fact, they have a treasurer for their ministry because an enormous amount of money came into their lives when Jesus was about two years old. And I'm going to show you that tonight. But Joel, welcome tonight. Thank you. It's so good to be with you all. And I want to tell you that Jesus will supply all of our needs. And that is the truth. Look, when he was born on earth, we're going to hear the, the value of the gifts. God supplied all the needs Jesus ha had. And I think God will do the same thing for us. Amen. And by the way, if you need prayer, please let us know how to pray for you. Just send us an email or give us a ring. The moment we hear from you, we're going to begin to pray for you. And we will really pray. But tonight, let's go back to Matthew chapter 2. Do you guys have your Bibles? Matthew chapter 2. And let's begin again in verse 1. It's been a weekend since we last met together. So let's review Matthew 2, 1. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold... There came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. Two really important things in this verse. The word behold, this is an insertion of Matthew into the text to explain his own response to the story. It's the equivalent of saying, wow, it is amazing. So here he's writing the story, and as he's telling the story, he adds, wow. This is his own sentiment about what he's about to write. And behold, wow, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. The word wise men is the word magus, but here it is the Greek plural magoi, and listen to what it means. It described a median group of priests and astronomers that were strongly influenced by Daniel and the prophecies and scriptures he presented when he served as an assistant to the pagan kings in Babylon. These magi were a very unique breed. Listen to this. They were a blend of politician religious priest, and scientist all combined. They were the most powerful men in the East, the most powerful, no one more powerful than a Magi. And in fact, with one word, they could install a king. With one word, they could depose a king. And for this reason, they were referred to as king makers and king killers. Isn't that amazing? Mm -hmm. And history even documents that Herod, had had an earlier rendezvous with Magi in the year 39 BC. And they came, and for a very brief period of time, the Magi removed Herod from power. And that's why Herod was so upset when he heard the Magi were headed in his direction. He had already had a rendezvous with them once earlier, and he did not want to have another rendezvous with Magi because Magi were powerful, powerful individuals. These were not lonely little kings three of them riding on camels by themselves across the sand dunes from Babylon or the east on their way to Jerusalem. You know, Denise and I grew up singing, We three kings of Orient are bearing gifts. We travel afar. And I could always just see them, those lonely little kings on their camels riding following the yonder star. But if you study Magi, they never traveled alone because they were powerful individuals. These were kingmakers. So there would have been caravans. We don't know how many Magi there were. Some say three, some say 12, some say 15, some say seven. doesn't really matter. What matters is that the Magi came. And when they came, in addition to bodyguards, they also had with them cargo, 
treasures, gifts, and a lot of troops to protect the valued gifts that they were carrying on the way to this newborn king. It is amazing. And in Matthew 2, verse 2, the Bible says that when they came into Jerusalem, they said, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we've seen his star in the east and we're come to worship him. The word king is the Greek word basileus, but here it has a capital. It's capital B, capital K. So they were not looking for just any king. They were looking for the king of kings. This was the world leader that Daniel had prophesied that they were waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for. And as I told you last week, there was a general anticipation in the Far East at that time that the world's greatest leader ever born was about to be born. And when the Magi saw that star, they knew it was the announcement that this world leader long prophesied that they were waiting for had been born. And of course, it took them a while to put together all the gifts. If you're going to go to see the greatest leader ever born, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, guess what? You're not going to show up with three tiny little gifts like we see here. You're going to come with elaborate gifts. This is a momentous occasion. And the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. And when Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled. Now, you know why? He was troubled, first of all, because he had early had an earlier rendezvous with Magi that was not a very good experience. And all Jerusalem was troubled with him. Why? Because every time Herod heard that a king had been born or a Messiah had showed up, he started killing people. So all of Jerusalem said, oh, brother, <laughs> here we go again. Another Messiah, another king. Herod is going to start killing people. So all of Jerusalem was troubled with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them. The Greek really means he interrogated. He insisted where Christ should be born. And they said unto him in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, and thou Bethlehem. In the land of Judah are not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. But Herod didn't just interrogate the religious leaders. Then he brought the Magi in and he began to ask them questions. And the Bible says after he interviewed them and determined how old the baby is, he, this is Matthew chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. And when they heard the king, they departed and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. Very interesting. The word stood, stood over, is a translation of the Greek word histamine. And guess what it means, guys? To stand stationary. Well, this is very intriguing because stars don't move in front of you like this and then suddenly stand stationary. So there's a real mystery as to what was this star. But there's something else here. The word young child is not the word brephos. The word brephos is the word that was used to describe Jesus in Luke chapter 2 when he was born in the cave. It describes a newborn that is breastfeeding. Here it is the word paidan, which describes a toddler or a little child. This is so accurate. By this time, Jesus was no longer breastfeeding. He was a toddler. He was walking. Two years had passed. And they came to see where the young child was. So contrary to tradition, 
Jesus by this time was not in Bethlehem. He was not in Bethlehem. Time had passed. Two years had passed. And Luke 2, 39 says, listen to this. And when they, Mary and Joseph, had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. And the place where the star stood over was not Bethlehem. It was in Nazareth. Okay, you guys with me? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Herod sends them to Bethlehem, but they end up in Nazareth. And Joel, you've already always said, how is that possible that Herod didn't know that they had gone to Nazareth? Well, if you read further, it's that Herod became angry because the wise men left without coming back to Jerusalem. But the road to Nazareth goes through Bethlehem. Mm. So they went to Bethlehem just as they were told to do, but they kept going. Mm-hmm. And that is what Herod did not anticipate. And that is what just made him irate that they didn't come back. So they went to Bethlehem as they had been told to do, but the star led them somewhere else. I think that is amazing. And then when you come to Matthew 2, verse 11, it says, And when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child. Notice not the cave. The cave was in Bethlehem. Now they've come into the house. Hey, can I throw in a little piece of information? They are now almost certain that they have found the house of Mary and Joseph. Wow. In Nazareth. That's oh, I can hardly wait to get there. It is in the bottom of a convent. A uh, church building was built over the location, I believe, in the third century or the fourth century. And they are almost sure that it really is the location. And guess what they found there? They found very exquisite pottery. They even found fragments of glass that had makeup. These were things that would not belong to poor people. These were people who were well-to-do. Isn't that amazing? I want to go there. Anyway, and when they were coming to the house, they saw the what? Young child, again, the Greek word paidon, the toddler, with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Fell down is the Greek word pipto, which means to fall down or to collapse. Mm. So now these magi that are kingmakers, for two years, they've been en route to see this young child. They finally come into the house, and when they see Mary and they see the toddler, they're so stunned. It's like the strength goes out of their bodies, and they don't just fall down. They collapse. The strength just goes out of them because this indeed is the greatest leader of the world ever born. That Daniel had prophesied about that. They knew that and the strength just went out of them and they collapsed. And the Bible says they worshiped him. The word worship, the Greek word proskuneo, really means to kiss the ground, to adore, lavish, lavish Worship. Imagine the impact, Denise, that must have had on Mary, who was watching all of this take place. And then Matthew 2, 11 says, When they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts. Notice the word gifts is plural, and the word treasures is plural. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, here we have this model of this event. And we have three kings, each of them holding a little gift, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And so people think because it says gold, frankincense, and myrrh, that's all that they bought, brought. But it doesn't say that. It says they opened their treasures. Well, first of all, let's talk about the word opened. The word opened 
describes a grand and magnificent opening. This would be like these magi calling on the servants, bring in what I've brought, and they begin to roll out the red carpet. It was a grand and magnificent presentation. This was not three little gifts, three little boxes. This was something magnificent that was taking place. And the Bible says, they presented unto him gifts. The word presented is the Greek word which means to physically carry. You would only use this word if you're carrying something substantial. Maybe carrying carts, maybe carrying crates, maybe carrying tusks, carrying carpets, carrying big vases. They were carrying something substantial. In other words, it was cargo. It was cargo they were bringing into this house. And the Bible says gifts, gifts is plural, which means many, 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 many gifts. And the word treasures is the plural version of the Greek word thesaurus, which describes a storehouse, a storehouse of treasures or cargo filled with treasure. And because this word treasures is plural, it indicates it was enormous. The word carried, the Greek word phosphoro, means they're physically carrying it because there's so much that they're bringing into the house. This was an extravagant presentation, a grand and magnificent opening of gifts that were laid at the feet of Jesus and his parents. When I look at this, I think they pull out these little, little gifts out of their cloaks. They hand them to Jesus, these three tiny, tiny boxes. But this says chests. They open their chests of treasure. A storehouse. It was cargo. It's the truth, and it makes so much more sense now. Well, now listen to this. Researchers have documented the kind of gifts that would have been given to a king in this situation. There are many records that have survived from the Middle East to help us have a reliable estimation of what the Magi gave to Jesus. You know, there's so many things you can research and really come up with good, solid answers. And traditionally, the size of diplomatic gifts like we're talking about were given to kings in proportion with their status. That's important. Thus, if he was a low-level king, the Magi would have brought lesser gifts. If he was a high-level king, they would bring greater gifts of greater value. Jesus was the greatest, most preeminent world leader to ever be born, and therefore they would not have come with little gifts, but they would have brought gifts commensurate with his status. Isn't that amazing? And the gifts would have included vases, urns, plates, carpets, all kinds of clothing, all kinds of items fashioned from gold, silver, and other rare and expensive materials. The catalog of gifts Jesus received would have been enormous and their value would have been a literal fortune, a fortune. But Matthew 2.11 then adds, gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These were important because these had prophetic significance. Gold was gift for a king. Frankincense was really a gift for two things. Number one, it was used by the priests in the temple in Jerusalem. You know what frankincense was? It was the favorite fragrance of kings. Kings loved frankincense. One time we were in Egypt. Do you guys remember when we went to that perfume shop where you can buy just like raw perfume? And I came home with frankincense. I came home with myrrh. And oh, I just loved to wear that frankincense because the smell of it was so magnificent. And it was also good for the healing of headaches. Mm. But 
Frankincense was used by priests, and it was the favorite fragrance of kings. And then there was myrrh, and myrrh was an antiseptic which was used for the embalming of the dead. So in these particular three gifts, there was a prophetic significance. Gold for a king, frankincense for a priest, myrrh, which is prophesying the future death of this king. This is just amazing to me. But the estimated value of all the Magi's gifts was simply extraordinary. Listen, I'm going to read to you from my notes. Listen to this. In keeping with the records of Eastern customs, a low-level king in those days who was visited by Magi or by head of a state would customarily receive, this is a low-level king, would normally receive 110 kilos of gold. You know why? Because people in the East had a respect for authority. A low-level king would have received 110 kilos of gold. By today's standard, that was a monetary value of more than $5 million, but that would have been for a low-level king. Jesus was not a low-level king. He was the king of kings, and he was presented with gifts and treasures according to his status. And if you put together the total value of all of these gifts that were brought to Jesus... It is simply mind-boggling. It is mind-boggling. Now here comes the next question. Maybe you're already asking, where did all the money go? If they really received all of that money, where in the world did the money go? Well, I'm going to give you an answer. First of all, Mary and Joseph were going to be instructed by the angel to go into Egypt. Mm -hmm. In Egypt, Joseph did not have a work permit, and Egypt was extremely expensive. The money showed up on time to pay their bills. Isn't that just the way that God is? God always makes sure that what we need shows up on time. But there's something else very important. Nearby to Nazareth was the city of? Sephoris. Sephoris. And what was Sephoris? It was the banking center of the Middle East. It was the banking center of the Middle East. It was the best place to keep your treasures. And it is likely that the money was put into the bank's in the city of Sephoris, but there's something else really interesting. Mary had an uncle who about that time, suddenly, surprisingly, with no explanation, who became the richest man in Israel outside of the Herod family. Wow. So the value of the gifts were amazing. It was enormous. Now, what was the name of Mary's uncle? Joseph. Joseph of Arimathea. That was Mary's uncle, which wow. explains why Jesus was buried in his tomb. But later on, Joseph disappears, and Joseph of Arimathea plays a very key role in the life of this family and in the life of Jesus, even in the burial of Jesus. And Joseph of Arimathea mysteriously suddenly became the richest man in all of Israel outside of the Herod family. Isn't that amazing? How did he get so rich? It was all the gifts that had been brought by the Magi in Matthew chapter 2. But here's what I love. When Jesus came into the world, God made sure he had everything he needed. And in Jesus' ministry, just read in the four Gospels, do you ever see Jesus taking up an offering? Do you ever hear Jesus saying, oh, we've got to believe for money? No, that language is non-existent. And in fact, when Jesus talks about money, Jesus always speaks in enormous sums of money. How would a boy from Nazareth 
no to speak in such enormous sums of money because enormous sums of money had been entrusted to his family. God gave to Jesus everything he needed for his ministry to the end of his life. It's just amazing. He even had a treasurer for his ministry. If they were poor, they wouldn't have needed a treasurer. God always provides everything that you need. I think that's amazing, Denise. Oh, he absolutely does provide because he loves us and he cares about us. I mean, he says, he says to cast all our cares on him because he cares for us. He is concerned and will perfect everything that concerns us. So whatever our need is, it's important to him. If, if you have a financial need, it's important to him. Yes. And he'll be the one, if we trust him, he'll be the one to show himself very strong and provide that for you. And you know, Denise, Philippians 4.19 says, my God will supply all your need. That word supply means to fabulously, liberally supply. It doesn't mean God will give you enough to get by just in the nick of time. It means God will absolutely flood you with everything you need because that's what he does. That's God's nature. God is huge. He has an endless supply of everything. And when he meets our needs, he wants to grandly meet our needs. Just like these magi opened magnificently all these gifts, God wants to magnificently open his supply to you. And we speak it to you in the name of of Jesus. But hey, we're out of time. Sleep well tonight. Tomorrow night, we're going to come back and we're going to see what is next in Christmas, the rest of the story. Please go to our website and download the free study guide and we'll see you tomorrow night. Bye-bye. Hey friends, this is Rick Renner and I have a big announcement, so pay attention. Starting in January, home group will only be Saturday nights. We've decided to really focus on Saturday nights. We want to bring you the very best we want you to join us. Every other night of the week, we're going to replay our regular daily TV program, except Sunday night. And Sunday night, we're going to have what's called teaching of the month. It's going to really be good. But home group will be Saturday night. So please write that down. And don't forget, home group is moving to once a week on Saturday nights. And we'll be waiting for you right here. If you enjoyed that teaching, please like, subscribe, and comment so more people can see it.